Welcome to the Next Level Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Julianne Kirkland, best-selling author and life coach. Join me each week to learn more about the strategies, tools, and mindset needed to arise from the overwhelm and live a joyful life you love. To learn how you can work with me further or to get your copy of my book, Arise and Shine, check out www.juliannekirkland.com. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode because the best version of you begins on your next level of faith. Jenny Ray Oates is the founder of Do Whatever It Takes to restore relationships, families, and futures by helping you break through limits and discover what's possible. Jenny Ray is a best-selling author, a mom, and a wife. Welcome, Jenny Ray. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Next Level Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Julianne Kirkland. And I am so excited to be bringing my guest on today. She is the last one in the Overcomer series. And I'm getting chills right now because her story of overcoming the odds has just, I'm, there they go again. My chills are having chills. <laughs> yes. <laughs> goosebumps are having babies. Um, her story is just, it's so amazing and it's so beautiful and it's so redemptive. And it just, it screams Jesus and how, how good of a father he is. And so please welcome today, Miss Jenny Rails. Thank how you. Thank you? you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Good. I'm excited to have you. So Jenny Ray, let's get into it. Like we're just, we're ready. We're hanging on every word. Talk a little bit about why you would be known for overcoming the odds. Mm, good question. Um, I think if you have been a part of my journey for the last 20 years, 10, 20 years, you would probably know me as overcoming just multiple losses. Um, specifically, um, I lost my number three child. He passed away in his crib unexpectedly. I had a two-year-old and a one and a half-year-old and or one-year-old, I guess that math doesn't make sense. Two-year-old, one-year-old. And then my number three was born. And a month after he was born, I found him face down in a baby bed that was actually recalled six months later. It was taken off the market. So diagnosis at death was SIDS. Actually knew that he didn't pass away of SIDS. I found him face down. My husband did CPR on him. Um, but it wasn't until probably 10 years after that, that I ever really even shared how I really found him. I think I just had so much shame around. It was something that I did. So I just went with the SIDS thing for a while, for a really long while. Um, and that would be probably one of the biggest ways. More recently, um, a lot of things culminated into marriage, breaking down, um, divorce papers signed, divorce negotiated um, into it being restored. And so just so many, so many marker moment dots in the middle of those two things, uh, 16 years um, in between that and total breakdown into restoration of a marriage. So many, so many moments of overcoming a lot of odds. Yeah, man. Talk a little bit about, cause you share with me personally, what happened between you and your husband and how he, you know, kind of began to wall off his heart and like what that ended up turning into as y'all grew through losing a child. Yeah. You know, um, so my husband's name's Nathan and we were really young when we got, I was 21. We got married. I got pregnant a month after, and we had four children in six years. You don't know anything about that. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> having babies really fast. Um, and I've come to see that when you get married young, especially you're literally growing up together. 
Yeah. And so there's this whole, like you're, you're not, you didn't fall in love. Like it's really more about you're growing in love. And I didn't get that early on. I didn't get that 22 years ago. And this tragedy for us happened so fast into our marriage that there really wasn't this foundation of even personal growth and health. I was this 21 year old kid who brought in all my own baggage and he was too. <laughs> we brought in all our stuff. And at that moment of our story in that chapter, he was a pastor at a really large church, um, a youth pastor. Our youth group was the size of most churches um, themselves. I mean, we had 350 middle school students. And so he was just in a mode of needing to perform and to show up and to deliver, you know, to deliver this product every week in the midst of a tragedy that we weren't prepared for, had no tools, no goods within us to really navigate that tragedy and had two little kids that were still needing mom and dad to show up. And so there was a lot of unspoken things happening for both of us. He was the one doing CPR and felt like there was something, you know, he couldn't even protect his own child. He couldn't, there was just a lot of things that were attacking his manhood yeah. and then for myself too. And so, you know, there was 98% of people who go through the loss of a child, don't make it, their marriage doesn't make it. And I think it's, there's, it's not just the moment of loss. It's the every moment after it's every day after when you look in your face, their face, and you see the memory of your child in their face, it's all the micro losses that happen. And I think somewhere along the way, you, you either decide to open your heart up to the risk of pain because to love is to risk pain yeah. or you begin to shut that part of your heart down because you're so afraid of pain. And, and we both went two different directions in that. Mm -hmm. I went on a journey for 16 years of learning how to love again, learning how to risk and open my heart to the pain of love, how painful it could be to be rejected, how painful it can be to love and to lose. And he went kind of the other direction of this is too painful, not knowing it. it was totally subconscious, Yeah, just going through the motions of being a dad and doing this and doing that. And we added a, you know, a fourth child to the mix. And so, yeah, he just didn't realize until the cumulative effect of those 16 years started to give feedback and show him, oh, there's, there's some issues. There's some problems. Where has this come from? Where's the root of this? Mm. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but just, you, you yeah. can't compartmentalize, um, what you shut down. Yeah. If you absolutely. shut your heart down to pain, you shut your heart down to love. And that's what really began to happen. And that that's, I'm so glad you bring that up because, you know, um, I did a podcast episode a couple of weeks ago with, um, my friend Shannon about overcoming grief because we both mm -hmm. lost our fathers really early. And there is that part where you, there's that anger that kind of builds up, you know, and it can either show hourly or it can totally mess up your whole inner world. Um, yeah. So I very much resonate with what you're saying. And how did that affect your marriage? Because like you were saying, 98% of people end up getting divorced because of just all the, the trauma and the change and the redirection, all this, all the, all the life that happens after a loss. And here y'all are, you were saying divorce paper signed. So what, what was that? What brought you to that point? And then what was the shift that happened? So it, what brought us to that point, what brought me to that point, I, I never dreamed I'd be that girl. I never dreamed I'd be holding divorce papers or making such a decision. 
because when everything happened with our son, Hosea, we knew that statistic. And so we both went headlong into let's do counseling, let's do intensives, let's do therapy, let's do all this stuff because we won't be that statistic so much. So we even changed, he even changed his career. He was working 70 hours a week at that point. Every choice we made in our family was to orient ourselves towards being together Mm. and becoming like a a tight knit group that, okay, we're not going to fall apart. You know, um, we worked a home business together and we got really, really good at that and became very successful in these business adventures. And so we, by all appearance, it looked like we're making all these choices to save our family, to change that narrative, to overcome that statistic. But the heart piece wasn't there. The, 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 like, we didn't know what was happening under the surface of, okay, he's growing more and more distant. And I'm like becoming more like, let me, no, 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 come back out, come back out and play. Let me find you. You know? So there was just this dynamic it was creating in us where I was kind of the one being the aggressor moving towards, and he's kind of becoming more withdrawn. And so you fast forward, like it was playing out in every area. I really believe. And one thing I teach my clients is how you are in anything, how you are in everything. We like to say, no, that's just me over here. Well, it's, it's not. Um, and how I was being there, it was coming out in even business where I was taking the reins and I was running with it. And so this, we started to create things that we loved and do things that we loved that I ended up hating. Mm. I ended up hating and resenting because now I'm carrying 80% of the load. Now I'm the one who's running our businesses and um, where is he? And is he contributing it? And it just created, there was just the more he shut down to his heart, he shut down to his own giftings and who he was and um, I'm trying to find myself in the midst of it. It was just like almost like these identity crises for both of us. And so there was there was a subtle competition, which might sound weird to say you're competing in your marriage. You don't even really know that you are probably. But it's like if somebody's getting a win and you're not and you feel like crap or like a failure, it's like, well, I feel like crap and I don't know if I want them to win. You know, so there was just this um, constant tension between us and it was showing up in our work, a lot of our work. But for me it's where I went. I went headlong into that because it, it gave me wins. It helped me feel good about myself. I got that, that hit or the high off of accomplishing something and doing something really well, because over here, I felt like I'm really screwing this up. Like I can't figure this out. I can't figure out why I can't break through in conversations with him or with my kids. I feel like it was a, such an intentional mom. Like I don't want to lose my kids in the midst of this grief. And yet I was one of them had seen um, my husband do CPR. And so she was really dealing with her own stuff as a little person. She was dealing with stuff that was trauma in her own brain. And so as a mom, I'm just like, I'm trying to hold it all together. And it feels like, okay, there's all this success. And yet I feel like it's about to fall apart at any moment. Golly. I mean, everything you just said, it's like, we do, we carry so much you know, and that, that subtle competition, you know, my husband and I did the exact same thing, (laughs) not, not so much in business, but just like when I started traveling and speaking more, he did, he became like jealous, not that I was successful, but because I was getting to go out and do things, you know, and he was like, Mm -hmm. but I've been in this same job for 12 years. And so it, 
I definitely can relate to. And I think, I think every relationship can on some level. Um, and it, it takes work. It takes being able to receive, um, change and, and understanding what that other person is going through. What was the the turning point for you guys to, cause now y'all are like in the heat of it, right? What was the turning point for you to realize this isn't okay. This isn't what we want. Like what happened there? Yeah, I think the turning point really, it came down to, for me, like I realized I am shutting down in this relationship. I was even physically, I mean, this is like, again, you don't, get married and think this is where it's going to be. You get married and you're kind of in bliss, you know, but there was all these warning signs. Like I am a division, former division one athlete. I continue to work out. One of my businesses is a fitness business. And yeah, I developed asthma. I couldn't breathe. And this feeling constantly of, I feel like I'm suffocating and I don't know why. And one day I clearly heard you're suffocating in your marriage. Mm. I have lost where Jenny Ray ended and Nathan began and vice versa. We were so, we had almost in in an attempt and an effort to overcome the odds. We'd almost become so tethered and codependent. And in some ways it was like, I want to need you and I'm scared to need you. And there was just all this unhealth that was happening. And for me, the turning point was like, I think I'm going to actually lose myself. I'm going to die is what it felt like if I don't make a shift Um, and I don't even know what it is. I don't even, can't even put words to what's wrong because for, again, from the outside looking in, we were like poster children for our company. We're speaking together. We're doing all these things. And so there was this intense fear inside of me that if I say anything is wrong, I'm going to be to blame for bringing our finances down for, you know, making this whole thing come crashing to the ground. But I got to the place where I've got teenage daughters and a son now. Um, What are they watching? And it's not like it's bad. And we're like in the sense of see how we all do that. Well, if it was screaming and all this behind closed doors, then it'd be really bad. Right. But what we were experiencing was Nathan was his kids. We even say he's like a ghost in our own home. Like, you guys are around and you're present all the time, but you're not present. And so proximity is not the same as presence. You can be on proximity to somebody and feel so lonely. And I didn't have words to even call it lonely, but that's what it was. It was like, I'd realized for over a decade, I'd felt so alone, so alone in every important decision, so alone in the weight of our finances, so alone in all these things where he was along with me and he was coming with me. And yet I was so lonely and there was things that I did that contributed to that. Right. I wanted to be strong and I wanted to carry things. There was all these things that I got to begin looking at in my own transformation journey, but it really came to a head with um, me saying, I just, I need space. I need to be separated for a time for me to get healthy. This is not about I'm done with you. I'm done with us, but I am done with this. I'm done with this dynamic. I'm done with this cycle. And again, I don't even know what the cycle is, Mm. but I'm done or it's going to take me out. And, um, in that time period, um, to kind of summarize that time period, Nathan actually received a, uh, narcissistic personality disorder, diagnosis. And for those that don't know what that is, there's really 14 characteristics that make up narcissism. We all have narcissism in us. It's really just 
our ego, right? right. We are all I feel especially entrepreneurs do. You know what I mean? Like yeah, we have to have all selfish. that for sure. Yes. And there's healthy narcissism. We all need that healthy dose of personal self-confidence, yeah. but there's almost like a spectrum of it. And when swung to the far end of that spectrum, it becomes a black hole of consumed with self, but what presents itself to the world is I think I'm amazing and I'm awesome, but it's deeply rooted in, I don't think I'm amazing. How much shame that person's in, how afraid that they really are. And so his presented through just, um, really deeply afraid of ever having flaws. And so if he was like ever confronted or talked about something, which had been the dynamic for years of like, okay, I think something's not right. Like, let's work through this. There is a, of such a resistance to even being able to look at, um, flaws or issues or anything, because it's almost such an attack on them as a person. And so it just felt like we're spinning our, I'm spinning my wheels. I'm a hamster on this wheel going nowhere until you're willing to begin to look. And so in that period of having space, it was an invitation. It created an opportunity and really an invitation of, I don't know what you're going to do with this time, but I know what I'm going to do with it. And when I discovered that it created a whole new thing to overcome (laughs) a whole new odds to face, if you will, because up until this moment, I'd overcome so many odds, odds that some of them you, you don't like the circumstance doesn't change. I think sometimes it's easier for us to go, Oh, it's awesome. I can overcome that odd, you know, that, uh, you know, that really hard thing, because in some ways the circumstance is different. Like my son didn't come back. Like he's not here. I will live the rest of my days on this planet without him. Mm -hmm. And with a hole in our family photos with my number three, not here, you know, there's, that's just not, he's not coming back. And so in this instance, it was another thing that was presented in a way um, the psychology world says, this is permanent. Mm. Um, 3% of people ever change. So if you stay in this marriage, just know eyes wide open, this is your reality. The rest of your life, he will not see you. He will not love you. He will not care about you because he only cares about himself. And it was just like, wait, what? And a lot of pieces got put together for me about my experience. And yet there was this thing in me as I left that day going, not on my watch. Like, mm. no, this is not the end of this story. I don't know the end of the story, but I'm going to start standing in a new way for the ending that I long for. And you give you give such a good analogy of what this disorder is actually like talking about it like cancer. Talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard for some people that, I mean, if you've experienced narcissism, if, if somebody is listening, you've experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, if it's kind of a newer word, it's, it's one of those popular buzzwords, like, oh, he's such a narcissist. Right. My recommendation is please don't label people because you really don't know the pain behind yeah. the word for it's, the person who's living it word. or the pain behind the word for the person who's been diagnosed with it. Yeah. And that was a very interesting thing to live um, gosh, it makes me emotional to watch my husband have to deal with that, to feel like, you know, even though I was on the side, the recipient in so many ways, I could see ways that I contributed to his story and to what mm. he was carrying. And I could see his feeling of hopelessness points of like, maybe y'all are all better off. If I just leave the planet, if this is really who I am and it would be like getting a diagnosis of cancer 
And the diagnosis of cancer itself is, hey, by the way, Julie, I'm going to tell you you have cancer and what that is. So you've never heard of cancer before. What that is, is this disease that you'll never actually believe you have cancer. Mm. You'll never accept it. And therefore you'll never work on it. You'll never do anything. You won't switch your diet. You won't do anything we tell you to do because you don't believe you have it. Of the diagnosis is you don't believe you have it. So that's why it's so small, 3% ever even shift out of it. And I will tell you, <laughs> my husband beat those odds, man. He has shifted out of it and is a totally transformed man. Wow. He is a transformed man. And sure, there's patterns, patterns that we even laugh about now. Things that used to cause so much pain, we're like, whoa, is he coming out to play? You know, it's just like, it's so funny (laughs) about it now. (laughs) Or he'll turp flip the tide on me and be like, oh, I think it's you. You know, I think you're you're not wrong. We've all got it, right? Right. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So talk about how, how God worked in this season for you guys. You know, you had this diagnosis you are trying to like figure that out. And you said, not on my watch. What was your experience like with the Lord in that, in that time, in that shift season to now this redemptive season and, and just a little bit about your perspective of what Nathan went through with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, so in full transparency, it would have been really easy. And it was at times, there were so many moments where I just wanted to give in to a diagnosis because of the pain in my heart and the loneliness and how hard it was like, really God, I'm done. I'm done with hard. Like I've walked through hard. I've done this for so many years. Like, can I just be done? Yeah. And can I just be out? Like, this is my out. Like I've literally got the diagnosis. This is my out. Um, and I think what the, the word that kept coming to me was just legacy and not if anybody listens to this and the end of your story or that chapter of your story was divorce, this does not change it. We all, we all have a story and a legacy and something so powerful that God wants to do in us divorce or not like your marital status does not change that. Um, and so I had to reconcile that I had to go all the way through to the end of filing for divorce, negotiating our divorce, because there was something in me that knew this thing has to die. Mm-hmm. Um, this old way of being Nathan and Jenny Ray, our dynamic together with this thing and all this for years, this pain, it needs to die. And all the pieces, the gold, the good, the, the bad, the ugly will go with us. But it needs to die because I have such a firm belief that on the other side of death, there is always a resurrection. And I didn't know what the resurrection was going to be. I didn't know if it was going to be the resurrection new with on this side of divorce with Nathan on the backside of divorce. I still wasn't believing that like God can even transform on the backside of divorce. What if divorce is what's needed, you know? So rather than just getting so hung up on this divorce thing, and I'm bad if I do it, which is where I felt like my mind was really at and how I was raised. And you don't even say the D word, you know, right. It became less about that and more about living led every single moment of my day. How do I be led by his spirit and do the next right thing? And the next right thing that presents itself is okay. Draw this boundary line and say no more. 
no more. And I am in this boundary line is not to keep you out. It's to say, come on this side. This is how I'm choosing to live my life. And you are welcome to live with me this way, but I will no longer live this way. Mm. And up until that moment, that was what I needed for me. Yeah. I had contributed by to our dynamic by not standing for me, by losing myself. Nobody can take you. You give it away. I, I can say it like I lost myself. Someone took my voice. No, I gave it away. I gave it away. And I didn't choose to stand because standing was hard, (laughs) but so is giving in, right? Choose your heart. And so I began to really stand in a way. And I'll tell you, when you have teenagers in the mix of something like this, Mm. that was a whole nother level of overcoming um, because they're all processing the news. They're all processing their own stories their own realities, things that are going, oh, that makes sense. And oh, that makes sense. And the temptation is there for everyone, for four of us to go too hard, too painful, shut my heart down, can't forgive, can't move forward. None of it just can't. Um, And we all went through moments of that and are still journeying it out. And so I think um, my posture was just to stay open. I don't know what I don't know about tomorrow. And if I can just keep doing me and working on me, there's a possibility that if I change me and my dance steps, maybe I come to the we differently. And for years, I've been trying to work on the we. Mm. And so this season, it was like, you can't, it just clicked. You can't have a healthy we until they're two healthy me's. I don't know what he'll do, but I know what I'm going to do because that's the only thing I can do. And then maybe just maybe it enters into this dynamic and creates something new. Yeah. And so that's where we're really, really began um, to, I really began to see some shifts. There was a, um, a really powerful visual that I had of the man that was chained and out of his mind, you know, they had to literally put him in change outside of a city because he was demon possessed and out of his mind and would claw at himself and all these things. Not that Nathan was there <laughs> by any means, <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, not that he was there. But I'm so grateful for the, this picture that the Lord gave me because he encounters Jesus. Jesus encounters this man. And in the very next part of it, you see, it says he is clothed and in his right mind. And I was like, proof, yes. proof this can happen. Mm-hmm. That somebody that is out of their mind, which is what I believe narcissism is, you are not in your right mind anymore. You are living your life from a shame story that is so deeply embedded in you that shame is coloring everything, not a mind of Christ. It is shame. And shame is the enemy's number one game against us is to twist and distort everything to shame. So it becomes so self-focused, right? You have nothing left for anybody else because all you're focused on is your shame and protecting yourself from anybody ever getting near it. And so I was like, oh, here's proof. I'm holding on to this truth that you can meet Jesus and be clothed in your right mind. And if he can do it for me, which he had, he'd already done that. I had my out of my mind moments and that whole story is another story, but I knew that he could do that for Nathan and for our family, for each of my kids who were battling their own, their own moments in this too. Yeah. Mm. And talk a little bit about um, what Nathan experienced, because you had also referenced um, a story from the Bible about the man at the well. And like that. Yeah. So there was a man at at the well who Jesus encounters and he wants to be, well, he thinks he wants healing, but 
well, that's what we see. Obviously he's sick and he's been sick for 38 years. And so wouldn't he want healing? And Jesus just stops and says, do you want to be well? And that really came to me as well. And, and to Nathan, because the Lord had been there the whole time asking him, do you want to be well? And the reason he asked that man that was because he knew that that man was losing his profession. If he got healed that day, he would lose his profession of begging in Israel. You can be a professional beggar. That is your job. Right. And he would go home to no education, have no no way to make money for his family. He was about to lose everything by gaining his healing. And so Jesus kindly as a gentleman said, are you sure? Do you want to be well? And there was this moment for Nathan where it just hit him all these years. He'd been saying, I want to be well. I want to be well, but he really didn't. He felt like he was going to lose too much to be well. Mm -hmm. And it was after filing for divorce, even that we had a conversation and it was in that moment he saw, he just saw this invitation of, do you want to be well? Yes. And that specific thing for him was realizing I have walled my heart off mm. to pain. I've been trying for 16 years to stop my heart from feeling pain. And in reality, I've, I've walled everybody else out and created a fortress that I've been living in and kept myself even from the love of God. And when he just admitted it, it was like the love of God met him in such a way. I will never forget it because it was like days after filing for divorce. And in that moment, you're like, we're not supposed to be talking to each other. But <laughs> his mom was like, going through a, an open heart surgery. And I just had this impression, like he needs somebody to talk to. And I texted him and he was like, really, you've talked to me. And it was in, it was a two hour conversation where I barely even talked. He just poured out his heart. And it was the first time I was hearing him and just Jesus intersected his path in that call. And I remember sitting on the couch, like, I don't even know what just happened, but I literally, it was like light just came in and his heart was open and it's this, the passage, I think it's Psalms. Um, I feel like it's Psalms 117 where it says, you shall live, you will not die. You shall live. And it was like pain. He'd been telling himself, I'm going to die. Right. If I feel this, I'm literally going to die. If I let my heart feel pain, but it was just overwhelming grief that he just needed to process and grief even now of like lost years, like years with his kids, you know? So not only the one, but man, just the layers of grief, but how he's given himself to that process and how I've given myself to that process and the life that it's actually brought. So it's such a lie that if I feel the pain, I'll die. It's no, it's on the other side of it, uh, on the other side of acceptance of what is and what has been and the choices that have been made and the beauty that can come from those ashes. Oh, it's so true. And, you know, I think a lot about um, that phrase, beauty from ashes. And I think sometimes it there's still those ashes that burn, you know what I mean? Like they're ashes yeah. and it's, you know, something's good's coming out of it, but it's still, they're still hot to touch. Smoldering. Yes. And, and I just want to encourage anybody that's listening right now who has created that shame story. Like there is a reason why that's the first thing that the enemy does to Adam and Eve is they introduce them into this, the shame realm. It's the easiest sleight of hand that the enemy uses and just, break, allow yourself to break free from that because invite the Lord in and allow him to minister to your heart. Like this is ICU time for you, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, 
I don't think people are because it is shame. It's shame. You don't, it's that, that you don't believe you have it. And it's too painful to talk about, but, um, Jenny Ray, do talk a little bit about what you, what you do for your clients. Um, because you've just been such a, a transformational coach for your clients and what they are able to accomplish. So talk a little bit about how, how this has really propelled you into your true calling. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've walked alongside of women and men for years, helping them transform their health, their bodies, their finances. And going through this, um, I have been able to walk in transformation of people from the inside out, who they are, helping them. I've watched my husband and myself discover who we really are. And all of life flows out of who you are. You are your business. You are your marriage. You are your parenting. And so when we don't like things that are surfacing in our life, it's like, well, let me fix my parenting as if it's this thing outside of us and separate from us. It's actually flowing from us. And so I have, I, the way I kind of see what I do is, um, I learned over the course of those few years, how to powerfully stand for the future that I longed for, Mm -hmm. regardless of the outcome. that the real strength and the real power was in the stand and the real power is in letting go of control over how the story played out. And for so long, I I desperately wanted to control the outcome. And so I learned, I got my power back by learning how to stand. And so I come along clients and one-on-one or group settings or other ways where I get to stand with them. I get to stand for the future that they long for and help them see if they're here and their present reality and the future they long for is here. I get to just walk with them through what life is presenting and what life is mirroring back to them as feedback to really look at the results they're getting and go, let's look at why this is hindering the future you long for. Let's look at different ways to stand to create different results. And so I I love it because that is, um, it is my passion and I've, I've gotten to like live it and breathe it from every angle of my life and my story. And and Nathan does the same. Like he works with men now as well and gets to stand with them for the future that they long for. And it's powerful to watch people get different results, to really shift what, what they're living currently to different results and learn how to do it. You actually can learn how to create the results you want. (laughs) It's not like some people just have it and some don't, you know, that's for you. Like you're the lucky one that got put on the planet and you actually can create results that you want. There really is a way to learn. And for me, it's come down to how I stand. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. All right. We're going to do a quick speed round. Are you ready? Okay. This is fun and lighthearted. I didn't even, I didn't prep her guys. I didn't even prep her for it. All right. Ready? No prep. Pizza or tacos? Pizza. Pizza. Uh, Favorite bucket list destination? Ooh, Italy. Italy. What do you want to do in Italy? Or have you already been? Eat pizza, girl. (laughs) (laughs) I have not been. I've traveled so many places because of our, uh, one of our companies and it, I've never been to Italy. I want to go so bad. I want to be on a little bike and ride down the streets and, you know, just all the epic stuff that you see. Yes. All of it. Any pizza. It's going to be any pizza. (laughs) Walk everywhere. So like the pizza will affect me. Yes. I love it. Okay. What's your favorite thing to do to decompress? Oh, be outside in nature, go for a run, go for a hike. I love to be on trails. Mm. I'm outside. Most of my client calls I'm walking. Yeah. (laughs) 
I love that. Trail. I feel like I'm Superman in the way of like, I like the sun recharges me. You know what me I mean? Like too. I love to be outside. I love to be near water. It just, yes. My kids know they say I'm heart flower and that <laughs> photosynthesis is actually in me too, not just plants. Cause I go outside literally in the middle of the day and I'll just stand there and they're like, what's she doing? She's recharging. She's recharging. Okay. Oh well now God. I have to ask what's your favorite kind of flower? Oh gosh. Um, probably a rose. Rose. I love it. Okay. What is your either go-to scripture or just favorite scripture of the Bible? Hmm. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, 2, 8 and 9 is where my son, Hosea, Nathan, his name came from, for by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, it's not of works, lest any man should boast, that's my story, I lived a mm -hmm. life of performing and striving to achieve love, knew the theology of grace, but never met the person of grace until I was 25, even after being a pastor's wife, and so God intersected me with that named my son Hosea because it means salvation, like Yeshua. Salvation, Nathan, is a gift of God. But it was years after that verse 10 came along, and it's we're saved by grace so that we can do good works. I felt like I had to stop doing. It's all just grace. Just, right. just, grace. just give it to me, God. I know. And it's like, no, I'm such a doer. My whole brand is like, do whatever it takes. I'm like, how do I marry the two? So that is really my life calling. It's flowing out of this place of grace and also doing the work you've been called to do and powerfully stepping into them. And that, that is truly becoming who God has called you to be. And I think so many, I mean, most of the women who are drawn to this podcast do have that high achieving, that ambition about yes, them. Drive. Um, and so that is, that's, that's the thing. And, and Jody and I talked about it last week on the podcast of like, that's kind of where we live is an achieve mode. And it's like, mm -hmm. this, this is where I feel worthy. This is where I feel that I'm good enough is if I can just check, 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 check. Yep. And it's like, no, you really do have to be able to marry those. And that is fully stepping out into becoming the best version of yourself. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Last question. This is kind of more of a serious one. So take us back to one practical tool you have a piece of advice, inspiration, motivation to the woman who right now is kind of in that shame story. Like, what would you tell her? Hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. I have an entire program around your shame story. <laughs> I'm like a tool. She's like, go see www. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is this is my heartbeat is helping women and and men walk out of their shame stories because. Um, I think one of the most powerful tools for me was to begin, was to realize that I was to begin to interrogate the story that I was constantly telling myself in any given moment and utilizing my emotions, which I dismissed for years and years and years as bad, wrong, broken, something's wrong with me. I'm angry. I grew up in a home where anger wasn't really allowed and I'm the angry kid. Mm. So I started to use my emotions as resources um to just go ding ding something's going on what's going on and then immediately what did i just tell myself what did i just make up what did i hear and so i started interrogating my story instead of interrogating the person mm -hmm. i was i'm a really good interrogator girl like i would be like you're i mean i could just see it i swear i could have been a lawyer because like i can build a case in three seconds flat and that's my survival i learned how to survive childhood by seeing all the flaws and being able to put the story together perfectly and give it, you know, and plead my case. Mm. 
But once I started interrogating my story instead of the person, that's when I started getting down to, whoa, what I keep receiving is actually because of my story and my lens, not because of them or not. I can't change them. So that would be my recommendation is just start using your emotions as resources. They're so powerful. They're just trying to alert you that something's going on yeah. and then start noticing what you're telling yourself. Wow, that's so good. Oh, Jenny Ray, thank you so much. Thank you for coming and just sharing your heart and your vulnerability and your story. And I know that that many people are going to be touched by today's episode, but I know there is that one woman woman listening right now who is just screaming, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. This was such an honor. Yes. Oh, all right, my friends, that's all we have for you today. Remember, the best version of you begins on your next level of faith. Bye for now.